Hi, and welcome to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. We're hopeful that this upcoming season can be played to completion. We're here to talk about that. We're happy to be joined by current Cardinals Spanish language broadcaster and former longtime catcher Benji Molina. Benji played 13 seasons in the major leagues, winning a World Series as the starting catcher for the 2002 Angels. He made it back to the series with the Rangers in his final major league season in 2010. Molina won two gold gloves and twice led the American League in caught stealing percentage. He was also among the toughest hitters in baseball to strike out. His brother, Jose, was his backup. His other brother, Yadier, is still going strong with the Cardinals. Benji, uh, so we have all these different ways to evaluate catchers now, and I can evaluate his pop time. I know how good he is at framing pitches. I know how good he is at blocking pitches. Uh, What we struggle with is trying to put like a stamp on how good is a catcher at calling a game and managing a pitching staff. So we wanted to get the expertise of someone like you to assist us with that. So how do you evaluate uh, whether or not someone's doing a good job of calling a game? Um, I think just the way that uh, the game is flowing, there's so many ways, uh, Mark, that this could be you know, said and, and checked. Uh, one of the ways is talking to the pitchers. Uh, obviously, if you go to Jack Flaherty, and ask for his opinion on Yadi or Kisner or whoever it is, right? In this case, I'm talking about the Cardinals, but it could be anybody. So you can go to those pitchers and they'll tell you kind of a little bit of what they think of him. Also, you can watch the game and see how, at least in our, in our view, because former catcher, right? So you, you, uh, you can see that. Uh, I'm a big believer on defense. The defensive catchers, you know, uh, you don't have to be, obviously, if you hit 300, 350, whatever, that's perfect. But I'm, I'm big on, 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 on 250, 260, 270, you know, something like that on a catcher and, and being a good defender. So you have, to, you have to have what you just mentioned before. You have to be able to call the game, first thing. You got to be able to kill for your own pitchers. You have to make them better. That's another thing that, that you can say. I mean, if your pitchers are going to still stay the same for the whole year, that's not right. So the catcher is a very, very important position. Another thing that you were mentioning was the framing. How in the world framing is not good? I don't understand how in the world framing doesn't matter. I mean, I heard this before. There was talking about framing is on overrated. Da, 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 da. How in the world is that, though, Mark? For me, if a pitch is three inches away from the plate, a back catcher catches it, throw it back to the pitcher. A good catcher frames it, gets a strike out of it. So don't you want Jack Flaherty in this case to have a three inches more of the plate? I mean, come on, when he faces uh, Chris Bryan or, you know, whoever, <laughs> I want that. So I really don't understand. I think they're really underrated. I think that people are putting the catchers way down. They're not considered anything. Uh, they're, not, they're not seeing the right things that a catcher could bring to your team. Okay, so what's an example of a catcher making a pitcher better in terms of like talking to him, in terms of deciding, okay, we're going to go with a slider here. Um, what are some of the things that, that you look for with catchers with that? I think you make a pitcher better starting before the game when – you know, when they talk about the lineup and say, okay, let's go through the Pirates lineup. Let's see, what do you want to do, uh, Hudson? What do you want to do to the first leadoff guy, the second guy, the third guy? That talking right there, 
it's what makes them better, right? That's what start to get them better. During the game, communication is huge. Uh, Mike Sosha always told me, uh, he's one of my angels uh, guys because he gave me the opportunity. And one of the first things he says, like, you want to be a good catch. And I say, yes. And he said, well, you have to communicate with everybody. You have to communicate with the pitching. So to make a pitcher better, you have to have communication. You have to be a, a psychology out there. You have to be the guy who, when, when even, even when, when a pitcher doesn't have it that day and you know it in the bullpen, you still go to him and say, wow, that slider's steaming today, man. That slider's hot today. Come on, let's go get these guys. That, that mindset of us making them feel good and making them feel better, working through adversities at times, and, and maybe he had a bad game. And all of a sudden, everybody's going home, and then the catcher and the pitcher, they're sitting in the locker talking about what happened in the game so it doesn't happen again. I mean, all these things that we're talking about here, Mark, they make you, helps you make the pitcher better. Any pitcher, it doesn't matter who. It could be a reliever, too. So, I mean, the communication with the pitching will for sure make it better. Um, I was listening to an interview that you did with NPR about your book a couple of years ago, uh, and they asked you about how your father influenced how you talk to pitchers, and you gave a few examples in that. Could you share those again with us? Well, <laughs> I think it's more of a – it's not what he said necessarily exactly that, but it's just what he taught us. Okay. You know, how, how easily you go – we live every day from – from God, family, and respect. So if you go by it every day, then you can do it. But um, I think he was just saying about caring, about talking, about feeling it in the heart when you talk to these people, when you talk to these pitchers, in this case, because we're catchers. So there were a lot of things that my dad said that we still live by it today, that that we still do it. And, and it's in the book, you know, I know it's in the book, but but, I was thinking of the Ramon Ortiz, Jared Washburn, and how you had to approach talking to them. Um, they were two different people, and that was true. That was true. I had Lackey, too. I had yep. uh, Kevin Apier at that yep. time, Aaron Seeley, and all those guys. They, you have to approach, approach him very different. A lot of times when you're hard on, on Washburn, Washburn can take it. Jared Washburn can take it, and it'll be okay, no problem. But when you were tough on Ramon Ortiz, he might have not taken it. He might have just fainted and, and, you know, we had a hard game or tough game. So you have to learn how to talk to people knowing them, right? Like how you know them, how you know different types of person. That's why I said a psychology out there on the, inside the clubhouse is how we are. It's what we are, leaders and psychiatrists and psychologists, because, man, to deal with that many people and that many pictures, it's not easy. Remember that pitchers, each of you have to deal with one catcher, maybe two. Us, as a catcher, <laughs> we have to deal with so many different pitchers. So it is really difficult, Mark. But, but you're right. Yes, that helped me a lot. Uh, my dad taught us, you know, how to take care of them. And you just have to learn how to deal with different type of people. How did you deal with stubborn pitchers who, who weren't necessarily good listeners? Um, I would say things maybe two, three times to them and, and go at it. But then at the third time, if they really believe it, if they really believe that's the the way to go, then then uh, I'll be fine. I mean, the only thing is that if it doesn't work out, you gotta hear me. You know, like you're gonna you're gonna hear me because 
I'm going to show you. I'm going to say, hey, listen, this time, look at what happened. So trust me a little more, you know, uh, or things like that. But, but that's the way I, I would do it. Without telling us who, who was the, t- like, tell us about the toughest pitcher that you had to try to get through to. Um, I think, no, I can say, I mean, he's a, he's like my brother, you know, and I love him so much because we went through the minor leagues and we went through the big leagues together for many, many years. And I help him out in many ways, Mark, you don't even know in many ways I help him out. I'm proud of doing that. I'm proud of saying that. And, but he was also the toughest one, you know, and, and that's nothing wrong with that. So Ramon Ortiz was one of the toughest guys to deal with because he, uh, like you said, sometimes could be stubborn, you know, and. And we would be having a six innings, like shutdown innings, and we'd be going good. And all of a sudden, his mind will go somewhere that is totally away from our plan. It's totally away from from what we were doing and what we were being successful. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's um, it's very uh, Ramon is probably one of the toughest one. But when he was on, and he would listen, like I always told him, if you listen, you had a great, you, you're gonna have a great career. But you know, whenever he was good, you know, he was, he was over the top. But then sometimes, like you said, you know, you would get stubborn, you deal with him, and he, he was really tough. And who was the guy that you got along with best? Alone the best, it was probably, it was a few guys, you know. I obviously caught uh, Roy Halliday, I, I caught Cliff Lee, and um, Tim Lincecum. You know, we, we, and then when Jared Watchman was awesome, because we grew up in the minor leagues together, and they made it to the big leagues together. So Jared Washman was one of the, the nicest people I ever met. I think uh, he still is. I haven't, haven't seen him, but uh, he's a, one of the nicest guys. He's very, very uh, down to earth. He's very, uh, whenever somebody made an error, he was the first one to face you. He went out there and he would say, come on, I'm going to get another ground ball, but this time you're going to make it. Come on. Or, or something like that. You know, he was one of the nicest guys. And, and I grew up with him, and I'm glad that I had that type of pitchers. Uh, in the minor leagues with me because it helped me. So I ha- I've been lucky, Mark, that I had good good pitching around me. Bartolo was good. Kelvin Escobar. How did you get the most out of K-Rod uh, in the 2002 postseason when he just kind of pitched it at the very end of September and then all of a sudden he's like this big star? Um, my brother, Jose, uh, was there with me and, and he knew him more, a little bit more than I did. He was in the minor leagues with him sometime. and. He helped me a lot with him. Uh, Frankie, uh, he had the stuff. Everybody knew it. He had the electric stuff and, and unhittable stuff. And all we needed to do was figure it out a way to, to be in the same pitch, you know, to make him go with us, to make him go with us. We've been there in the big leagues. We've been there with these big guns. And we'll talk to him every day. We'll be like, hey, we know you're good. We know you're great. We know you can pitch. We know you have the electric slider. We know all of that. We know it. Now let's put it together. So when you face Barry Bonds or when you face this guy or when you face Richard Ely or in the World Series or in the playoff, you face Derek Jeter, let's put it together and, and we'll get it together. So we talking to him was more important than actually seeing pitch. You know, Mark? I'm, I'm a, so I'm a 2006 Mets fan and your brother hits the big home run uh, in the ninth inning of game seven. In the bottom of the ninth inning, there's a component to the story that I thought is interesting. When Beltron comes up, he goes out to the mound to talk to Wainwright and then turns around and it's almost like he has a different idea and just kind of taps his chest and says, trust me, trust me, uh, and then goes back. And the, the plan that they had when they went out to the mound 
changed. And I'm sure that you've been on the other end of that, whether it was in 2002 with someone like K-Rod or, or Percival or whoever. What's that like? Because that's really interesting to me that you would go, you would have the conversation, and then on the way back to the plate, you'd be like, oh, no, let's change it. Um, it happened a lot. It happens more than you think. It happens so many times. I'm not surprised by one bit what these guys have been through. And I'm not surprised at all, Mark. I think it happens so many times that when you talk, what you talk on the mound, by the time you get to the home plate, it's all done. And, and Yadi probably saw something or felt something. He didn't want to go back to the mound. So he just tapped his chest and said, hey, man, trust me. You know, these guys, remember, these guys know each other for so long, you know, and Wainwright and, and Yadi. So pitching and catching resumes, and I always tell this to the catchers, you know, and uh, it resumes to let's go with my best two pitchers. I mean, pitches, not pitchers, pitches. If Wainwright's pitches are fastball and curveball, Beltran is going to have to beat me with the fastball and with the curveball. I'm not going to try a changeup. I'm not going to try a slider. I'm not going to try a split finger. I'm not going to try anything. I'm going to go with my best two pitches. And I think uh, it resumes to that. It's like when you see Edwin Diaz these days in the Mets. He throws 100 and some, but he has to have another pitch. He has to have the slider working. So, you're not going to call a curveball. You're not going to call a changeup. You're going to face whoever you're facing for the game, and you're going to go with the best two pitches. So it resumes to that. But when you're talking about situations like World Series and stuff and, and playoff, it has to work out together. It has to work out. But sometimes it doesn't. And these guys, since they know each other for so long, it's easier for somebody to say, hey, I got you, you know, come with me, and, or I'll go with you. I seen it, you know, doing the radio Spanish uh, in the Cardinals. I seen it, you know. Sometimes Wayne Ray will will talk to Yadi by signs, you know, in, in the chest or in the ear, or, or you know, he'll say something with the mouth, or and they already know what pitch is coming next, you know. All right, so relationship building. Um, what's it like for a rookie catcher? I've always heard that for rookie catchers, it's you you can't really necessarily look at their offensive stats because they get so overwhelmed by, by the beginning of the job. Rookie catchers, uh, the only way you're going to have fun, the only way it's going to be fun for you is only if you have really, really good veteran pitchers that are really nice people. If you have uh, a, a pitcher that's a little you know, tough to deal with and you have a, a rotation that's tough to deal with, you as a rookie, you're going to have a tough time. But if you have, uh, if you're a rookie, and you have nice guys like I did, Mark, I did. I, I when I went up to the Angels, I had uh, Ken Hill, I had Ken Bottenfield, Chuck Finley. I dealt with them. So when you have those guys, and then you you try, you do the next year, you go Aaron Seeley, you go to Kevin Apier, you go to Derek Washburn, you know all those guys. Those are nice people. And then you get uh, Bartolo, and then you get Kelvin Escobar, and then you get Sean Weiss. I mean, those guys are literally nice people. So for me being a rookie and getting those guys made it so much easier for me to deal with them, you know, to, to be good with them. So, uh, but if sometimes if you find that guy that you find that rotation that it's really, really harsh, you know, and they're old school, and then you're a new guy, they don't get along with you, they don't like what you're doing, it's tough. It's, it could be really tough. 
how do you deal with the language gap, whether it be Spanish to English, you're Spanish as a Spanish speaker, pitcher as an English speaker, English to Spanish, which, you know, the other way around, or Spanish or English to Japanese or Korean. I, I got to imagine that's pretty tough. I really believe that if you're going to be a catcher, because I'm talking about the catchers, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, the pitcher, the pitcher should feel the same, but right now I'm talking about our catchers, and I think every catcher should speak their language. Um, in this case, Japanese is very rare, so we, it's hard for us to do it. So in this case, a Japanese pitcher should speak English, at least, when they come over. I don't care who you are. I don't care what type of prospect you are or, or Babe Ruth you are over there. I think they should. Admittedly, that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard, and it's going to be really tough because communication with the pitcher makes you better and makes, uh, makes obviously, your starter better. So if the catcher doesn't speak any English, how the heck are we going to have a game? How the heck are we going to go out there and have a nice game? Or, or, or you know, I don't know. What, what are you going to tell the pitcher? There's no way you can have it without the English. A good communication, I mean. The guy could be – I could be the best game caller in the world. But if I can't communicate with you, I, it's not going to work. And I don't believe it. So every time I tell the catchers and, and Hispanic catchers and people that don't speak English, I always tell them, take a course, whatever you have to do, learn the language, learn the English. Now, the Japanese players that come here, if I were them, if I were the owners, I'm going to pay you some kind of money. But let me tell you what, you better know English by the time spring training comes in. Because you're going to need it. I want you dealing with the players. I want you talking to the players. I want you having a, a relationship with the player. I don't want you sitting down in a corner with your translator waiting for somebody to talk to you. No, I want you to know the language. So it's very important to create that chemistry. I, I feel like that, that that's, that's possible. That's challenging, uh, certainly these days. And more challenging with coronavirus having hit and everyone having been separated for a few months. How would you uh, deal with that? I think coronavirus is going to be really difficult for baseball, but um, they're going to try it. You know, they're going to try it, and it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be okay. I hope it's okay, right? Because if not, they can cancel it. But um, it, 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 a virus is very serious, and, and that's what we all know, in, and that's what we are finding out. It is really serious. There's nothing secret to it. If you get it and you have you don't have good lungs or your history of sickness is bad or illness i'm sorry so um it is very serious they're gonna try to do it now in baseball and we're gonna find out pretty soon how it's gonna be first of all it's not gonna be fans so that's that helps but at the same time later on they might have fans so this is just a process mark they're gonna have to get through it they're gonna have to do it they're gonna have to do it to find out what's going on who are the catchers that you watch now that you're impressed and you would say that they get the most out of their pitchers besides your brother I really like uh, Buster Posey. I think he does a really good job uh, getting the most out of every pitcher, the most out of every pitcher. And um, uh, Salvi, you know, from Kansas City, Salvador mm -hmm. Perez, I think he's a really, really good one. What do those two guys do specifically that you really like? Uh, I like Buster, you know, and uh, but uh, I mean, I also like Salvi because uh, Salvi is really animated, and, and I ca as a catcher, you have to be. Uh, Buster's more quiet. It's more like a inside, like an inside job. You know, it's more like quiet talking to the pitchers inside and things like that. But 
Saub is more and more outgoing, more and more, you know, you can see more life out of him at the game when he's having fun and stuff. But those two guys, I, um, I really do admire and, and go out and, and watch him catch. What is the state of your brother at this point as a catcher? Oh, Yadi is amazing. Uh, after I knew he was good, uh, yeah, I knew Yadi was good when before before all these that I'm doing now with the Spanish radio and and stuff. But uh, now after hanging out with him, I coach uh, 2013 when we went to the World Series with the Cardinals. I, I coach with him and uh, I was with him all year and knowing exactly what he's doing and knowing how much how many hours he put into studying their hitters over there studying his own pitchers and knowing exactly what they are capable of doing in certain situation. It is really impressive. It is really impressive the way, uh, the amount of time he takes to, uh, to study people, to study their hitters and stuff. And that's why you see what you see on the field. It's just because he takes the time and takes it very serious, Mark. And I, I think it's really one of the best, uh, catcher if not the best catcher i ever seen out there in terms of everything you know and caring and taking care of pitching and being a great teammate uh, helping his his teammates much as he can helping others mark i mean these days you don't see anybody getting up in spring training and taking care of their own catchers catchers that might take your position and he's out there with them teaching them and, and showing them the ropes he knows he knows he can help. You know what I'm saying? So you don't see that often. Right now, everybody goes their way. You know, everybody goes their way. I'm not helping that guy. He might take my spot. You know, I'm not going to help him. And Yaddy's right there in spring training, helping them, hitting, throwing, calling the game, anything that he can help these kids. So I think Yaddy's a very special kid, man. I, he has a very special heart. What would you say to someone who says, I want to catch like a Molina catches? You know what? I think it's very interesting, that question, because what would I do? I think I would tell him, you have, first of all, you have to be a leader out there on the field. By being a leader, it kind of resumes everything that we just mentioned. You know, you have to care for your pitchers. You have to, you have to actually sacrifice yourself for others. You have to be a, a good teammate. You have to be somebody that cares for them. You have to be somebody that's willing to sometimes take the blame other than them. Things like that, you know. I think it, it, it resumes being a leader as a catcher or a catcher as a leader, it's a, it's a really, really uh, a resume of every single thing that we've been talking about today, Mark. I think um, if you want to, if you were willing to go through all that, then you're okay. And if you're willing to get hit foul balls and everything six times a game and you don't mind it, then you're okay too. Actually, I do want to want to touch on that because we've actually studied, um, the impact of foul balls off the mask uh, of catchers. Um, just to, to jump to that for one second, what what was that like for you? And and could you feel that impacting you over a season or over a game? Or what was that like? What is that like? Well, for me, it was very different, Mark, because I played in an era where I didn't know what was concussion. To tell you the truth, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know. I never heard that word in in baseball. Uh, but that was just me, right? That was just me. I, I, it could have been out there, of course, but, but I never knew what it was. And I got hit many times in the, in the forehead, you know, and the foul tips and stuff. But I never heard of the word. So I, I probably did have some concussions, but I just didn't know what they were. And I just kept going. So a lot of times I think about this, Mark. Um, you get a foul ball on the mask, and it's probably going really fast, really fast. And, and all of a sudden, 
you have to stay. You shake it off. You stay. You keep catching. You keep going. And then the hitter gets hit with a curveball in the head, and they're all taking them out to x-rays. So mm -hmm. what is the difference? It's kind of beyond me because a catcher gets hit two, three times a game, a face mask, which is really almost, I would say, same as a pitcher hitting a hitter. And, but we stay there and the hitter get to go. So those are confusing things. But about concussions, I think you have to manage it these days, of course. You have to stay on top of them because it's your brain. And that's it. But, but when I was playing, Mark, there was no uh, concussion things. You know, you just shake it off, shake your head, some water, let's go. The last question for you. Um, so in summing up everything that we've talked about, it's like we want to invent a stat that measures, let's take, we have stats that measure the stolen bases and the framing and the blocking. It's almost like we want to create a stat that we would call like catcher psychology or catcher communication. And we would give a guy like a, it would be like a, a scouting grade, like an 80, a 70, a 60, a 50. How many different things are we smushing into that to make it into something that works? There's no number for that. That's why there's not, they're not probably talking about it because there's no number for the hours that Yadi spent in the video room uh, studying their hitters. There's no, there's no uh, number for when, when he goes to Adam Wainwright before the game and they talk for an hour about these hitters. So they are so prepared to go at it, you know, and things like that. There's no number for that. There's no people talking about it. There's no people saying, wow, what he does outside the game impacts the game itself. But, but there's nobody proving that. So they're not going to do it. They're we just want it, do the one. Yeah, we want I want to. We'll, we'll come up with one someday. Yeah, I hope so. And <laughs> I've been saying it. I've been saying it so long. How about the number of framing pitches? Let me tell you this. If you are going to compare two catchers, you better compare it to the same umpire, mm -hmm. right? Because that's fair. Yep. But don't compare me with you as an umpire and then my brother with somebody else as an umpire. I don't right. think that's fair. Right. Yeah. So you should know we do it with the, the umpire is taken into account. So we know, yeah. every guy, we know every umpire's, like if a guy's got a really, if, if it's Joe West and he's got a really tight zone and Bill Miller's got a huge plate, we know that going in and we adjust for that. You should be using yeah. our stats. <laughs> <laughs> and that's great, though. That's great. I love it because it will be fair for every catcher. It will be fair for everyone. Benji Molina, thank you for taking the time to join us. We appreciate it. You can catch him on the Cardinal Spanish language broadcast this season. And this wraps up this episode of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. For Benji Molina and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for tuning in. Sports Info Solutions is excited to announce its Football Analytics Challenge. Contestants will use Sports Info Solutions data to determine which defensive line position is the most valuable and how does the value change based on factors like in-game situation. Registration is now open submissions are due for preliminary judging by Sunday, July 19th. Three finalists will be chosen to present their work live to a panel of judges, including Matt Manicharian, Aaron Schatz, and John Park from the Indianapolis Colts front office. In addition to some great exposure within the industry, the winner will receive a free one-year subscription to the SIS Data Hub Pro. And the best part, all proceeds from the event will go to the United Negro College Fund. A minimum $1 donation is required for entry. 
but we encourage any of our listeners to donate to this worthy cause. For more information and to register today, check out the pinned tweet on the Sports Info Solutions Twitter account. That's at sportsinfo underscore SIS. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.